We have uh, two scriptures readings this morning, both from Isaiah. The first will be from Isaiah 7, verses 10 through 14, and then from Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. So starting with Isaiah 10, uh, 7, 10 through 14. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the, Lord, of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, I need to tell you something. I love trivia. Like, too much. Uh, I, I'm not an expert on anything, I don't think. Uh, but I have tons of what I would call useless knowledge. Useless. Use, yeah. I think I probably missed my calling. I should have been on Jeopardy or who wants, who wants to be a millionaire? I would have, I would have won that show. I was, man, I was so good. I, I used to, I'm, I think I'm getting less intelligent over the, as years go by. I don't know how that happens, but, uh, but I still love trivia and I want to share with you just kind of a few interesting bits of trivia this morning. So I'm going to show you a picture and you're going to tell me what it is, uh, what is that? Yeah, ladybugs. Uh, in other places in the world, they're called ladybirds. Do you know why it's called a ladybug? You probably don't. In centuries past, they were called the beetle of Our Lady. The beetle of Our Lady. Do you know who Our Lady is? Mary, that's right. Uh, she was represented as red throughout history. Um, and the, a traditional ladybug has seven spots, and those seven spots were said to represent her seven joys and seven sorrows. So with re red with the black spots, she was the beetle of Our Lady. Um, and there's a story, just for a little more useless trivia, there's a story that there were some farmers a long time ago uh, who prayed to Mary because their fields were, were being eaten by, you know, other in bugs, insects, and they, they prayed that God, or to, sorry, prayed to Mary that she would intervene, and ladybugs showed up, and those ladybugs ate all the rest of the other pests, um, and so they, you know, of course, uh, attributed that this was her, her bug. Okay, uh, next picture. What is that? Where's my master gardener? Where's, where is it? We've got a couple of them in here. Where's, what is it? That's a marigold. That's right. I wouldn't have known that. I couldn't, I didn't know what they looked like. But yeah, that's a marigold. Um, it used to be known as Our Lady's Dowry. Uh, guess who Our Lady is once again? 
Mary, that's right. So this is, uh, and dowry went for gold, so this was Mary's gold. And you can kind of see why, right? You get the red again, and you get the gold. This was uh, Our Lady's dowry. Okay, next one. What is that? It's a butterfly, good. Okay, do you know what it's called in Spanish? Yeah, somebody, there we go. A butterfly in Spanish is called a mariposa. I didn't, very good accent. But uh, they get their name because guess what? They have the pose of Mary's pose, right? Mariposa. They have the, the praying hands of Mary when they fold up. So a butterfly, of course, would be Mary's pose. So, and then one more. What is that? Yeah, wait, you, too many of you guys know what that was, right? More than, the, more than the flower. Yeah, this is a Mercedes, right? This is a Mercedes Benz. Do you know why it's called a Mercedes? Do you know what Mercedes means in Spanish? Our Lady of Mercies, of course. And who is Our Lady of Mercies? Yeah, so that's actually Mary's car. You didn't know that. But <laughs> Mary's car is the Mercedes. So, you're well aware, you've guessed it, we are talking about Mary, right? The Virgin Mary. An amazing woman, probably the most famous human in history. Um, But in the Protestant world, she probably doesn't get the respect or the recognition that she deserves, right? And and, and why is that? I'm going to show you a couple of pictures, and you can kind of guess why. So, So, here's just a couple of pictures, right? Who is that? That's, yeah, that's Mary. Let's go to the next one. That's weird. Uh, this is a group called the Cult of Mary. Uh, and this is a, a very typical scene throughout Spain uh, in different times of the year. So they make these giant statues of, of her. There are some that weigh up to like uh, six tons. And there's like hundreds of guys carrying these through the streets of Spain uh, and other places in the world. But why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? They're, they're, they're worshiping Mary, if you will. So I think one more. Right? And this is, this is other places throughout the world. We see, um, we see people revering Mary, you know, as, as, as a, a, an object to be worshipped. They're, they're, uh, another interesting thing about Spain is there, there actually is a, a festival of Mary and there's, there's all these different brotherhoods, and that's why they wear They're not clansmen. They're members of different brotherhoods, okay? And so that was why the pointy hat, weird. Not, we're not used to seeing that. In Spain, it's a very common thing. And again, they're not clansmen. They're, they're orders of different, different orders of brotherhoods of, of, of Mary. And they compete against each other of who has the, makes the most beautiful Mary. And they'll end up getting into fist fights and insulting each other and trying to knock over the other person's float of Mary, which... Such an interesting thing, right? What a cultural phenomenon. But this is why we struggle with what to do with Mary, right? Because of things like this. What do we do? So this morning we're going to talk about her. We're going to talk about her life. And, 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 and is there something to be learned from, from her? So, so let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for this time. We are thankful for your word. We ask that you would use it for our benefit, that we would hear your truth that we would be inspired. God, we would follow you more. This would be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So we're in Luke chapter 1. We're going to read verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to God, or sorry, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And uh, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So one of the things that I have noticed and and realized as I've been working on some of these uh, sermons in Advent, these characters, these stories, is that they're not new. They're all familiar to you. Um, so so as, as we kind of start, we're going to look at the background of the story. A, a lot of this is, is meant to be a reminder, a, a refresher about, about this story um, and, and, and what's happening right now. So remember last week we talked about how the Old Testament ends and, and there, there's this promise kind of throughout multiple books of the, of the prophets in the end of the Old Testament that, that Something is coming, that God is going to do something big. And they had enough information to know that it had to do with a promise of a Messiah, right? With a Savior, with, with somebody who was going to be from the tribe of David, who was going to reign forever. That was, that was what they understood, that God was about to do something big. They didn't know when, um, they didn't know exactly what that would look like. And, and the people know this. This is kind of the lingering promise. But we, we mentioned last week that their hearts were, f- were far from being ready for whatever God was going to do because it had been 400 years since there was a promise made. I mean, imagine waiting for 400 years for the fulfillment of something. We know something's coming. Is it coming now? Um, nope, may, nope, still not, still not, still not. And they've given up. I don't think this ever was real to begin with. This is all just mythology. Right? People have stopped believing. Zechariah was told last week that that God was on the move. And Zechariah was one of those people who still believed, who was still waiting, who was still preparing. And and Zechariah was told that he would have a son. And that that son, his job was going to be to prepare the way for the Messiah. Amazing thing. 
And so now, immediately we jumped scenes to a new place, and, and we are in Nazareth, which is a, a small town in Galilee. Scholars and archaeologists think Nazareth was a town of about two to 400 people during this time. Two to 400 people. I looked it up. Monroe Center has almost exactly 400 people. So, so I've got that kind of in my mind, right? Monroe Center. It's not a place anybody means to go. Unless you're going to school there, right? Um, but it's along the way to somewhere else, right? It's, it's on a highway. Nobody probably would expect something huge is going to come out of that place. I'm not picking on Monroe Center. I'm sorry. It's just, just kind of worked out that the population. But anyway, right? Imagine telling somebody from Chicago, right? An incredible thing is going to happen, and it's coming from Monroe Center. That's, that's the equivalent of what, they would go, who, where? I don't even know what that means. That's what Nazareth is to, to Israel, right? Nazareth doesn't mean anything to them. So, again, think about a town this small, without internet, without the phones, and, but a town that size. Think about a story like Mary. Think about Mary's story and what, we're, what you know is about to happen to her. We're going to get to that in a minute, but keep that kind of context in mind. Small town. What do we know about Mary so far? We find out that she is betrothed to a man named Joseph. Betrothed is an interesting word. We don't really use it uh, in our society. It's kind of like being engaged, but it's more than that. It's it's a little more serious. You you can't just turn, give a ring back uh, with betrothal. You don't just change your mind. One, it was probably decided for you, but, but also it is now a legal thing. And it takes a legal action to undo. So to end a betrothal was, was the same as a divorce. It took, a, it took an actual official document to make that happen. So she's, she's committed. This is, this is a real deal. She may not know Joseph that well, by the way. Um, the Jewish custom of those days was that a girl became a woman. Um, they became eligible to, get, to be betrothed at 12 and a half. That was when a woman, a, a girl was considered somebody that could now enter, enter into that process, right? They could get betrothed at 12 and a half. And some of you parents are shocked, right? 12 and a half. Um, a betrothal process normally lasted about a year. So that means Mary is likely 13 14, maybe she's 15 if they were slow in getting that process started for her. But she's probably 13 to 14 years old. And here comes Gabriel. (laughs) Gabriel has been busy. We just saw him visit Zechariah. Uh, He he shows up uh, uh, in the Old Testament. We see him in places like uh, Daniel. By the way, have you ever wondered what Gabriel was thinking Right? He gets called in to, to God, uh, and, and, and God says, okay, here's the message. Are you ready for the plan? I've been waiting to tell you. And Gabriel, it's your job to go tell everybody. It's finally time. I want you to go to this old priest, and I want you to tell him that he and his wife, who hasn't, you know, they're really old, but in the, in, in, and they haven't had any children yet, I want you to tell them that they're going to have a, a, a child. And, and, then, and then I want you to go to the smallest town in Galilee, Okay, and I want you to find, you know, out in the boonies, I want you to go find this 13-year-old girl. Her name is Mary. 
and this is where the Messiah is going to come from. And I'm sure Gabriel is, okay, God, that sounds great, right? Interesting, interesting thought. It's, it's not a plan any human would have come up with, is it? But so, so here goes Gabriel, and I'm sure he is ecstatic. I'm sure he is excited. He can't wait to share the good news, the, to hear God's plan, uh, to tell people of God's plan unfolding. He, he, is, he has got to be excited for this, all, all that they've been waiting for. And so he says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. So, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now we need to talk about this for just a second. So um, there is an obviously famous prayer in, um, in, in the, the, uh, a Catholic prayer that says, Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the the hour of our death. This is where that prayer comes from, right? There were parts that obviously sounded familiar, but there's an issue, and so we're just going to hit that real quick. So the the first Bibles that that the church had were in in Latin, a Latin translation that we call the Vulgate. It's not an easy word. It sounds weird. What is the Vulgate? It's the Latin Bible. And the Vulgate was great, but um, it didn't have as many manuscripts as they ended up finding just after the Vulgate had been, had been translated. And, and so the, this verse that they translate, uh, full of grace, was, was kind of a mistranslation. It was, it was a misunderstanding we know from the Greek grammar, we know from older documents when we look at it, that, that this phrase, you could, you could translate it full of grace, but the point is, if you guys like grammar in, in English, right, who was, was it a direct object? Who, who received the action? Why is she full of grace? And what does it mean to be full of grace? And we would say she is a recip- recipient, wow, recipient of that grace, right? She is full of grace as a recipient, not as a giver of, not as a founder of grace. She's not the source of grace. So we don't have to pray to Mary because she doesn't give grace. She's not a source of grace. She is a person who is highly favored. She is a person that we should see as amazing. She is full of grace, God's grace, the one who gives it. So Mary is shown grace in this passage. And so that's why we see translations today say something more like favored one, because she is a favored one. That's a better idea for her. She is a person who has found the Lord's favor. She is blessed. But she doesn't give grace. She doesn't give blessings. That's not who she is. But so Gabriel goes on to tell her she's going to give birth to a son and, and, and that his name will be Jesus. And, that, and Jesus will be the Savior, the long-awaited Messiah. And so we, we, we saw Zechariah, remember, he asked this kind of question of doubt. Right, and he says, well, how, how's this going to happen? Or how could that be? Right, how, how are you going to tell me how I can know that this is going to be true? Right? More of a, a question of doubt. How, how will I know this to be true? And Mary asks a question just in our passage this morning. 
but it's a little bit different. She says, how is this going to happen since I am a virgin? How is this going to happen? Not give me proof, but really it seems to be more that she's interested in the technicalities of it. How, how is this going to go about, right? She wants to know how it's going to be fulfilled. She doesn't, she's not in disbelief. She's just wondering how it's going to be fulfilled. We would say she wants information more than she wants proof. And so Gabriel tells her that she will remain a virgin and that the Holy Spirit will do a miraculous work in her. And he says in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And I I just got to stop here to, to say that that's really important. That's a really important statement, right? Nothing will be impossible with God. I, I hear a lot of people, a lot of articles and things nowadays say something like, you know, we believe, um, we believe in Jesus, but to, to believe in the, in the virgin birth seems a little unnecessary. I don't know that the virgin birth is, is, is that important, right? A lot of people deny the virgin birth. It's important that Mary is a virgin, in case you didn't know. It's, it's really important. If, what, what happens if we deny the virgin, virgin birth? If we say, I, I believe in Jesus, but he wasn't born of a virgin. What, what takes place? One, we negate the saying that Gabriel just said, that nothing is impossible with God. We say, well, God can't do that. God, that doesn't happen. Well, if God can't make a virgin birth possible, guess what else he can't do? He can't raise the dead. He can't save us in our sins because of the blood of Jesus. There's a lot that God can't do if he can't make a virgin birth possible. And so I would just maybe give this as a reminder. If if you can't get over the virgin birth in your faith, then there's a lot of things in this book that you're not going to be able to believe. You're going to struggle in your faith with a whole lot of things. And I'll just say it boils down to whether you believe Gabriel when he says, Nothing will be impossible with God. But it is an important part of our faith. It is important that Mary was a virgin. And Mary believes him. Her, her act of belief, her act of faith has been celebrated ever since. She says, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The most faithful response anybody could ever give. She gives it. This 13, 14-year-old girl. She gives it. It's amazing. An amazing response to all that God had just told her. Right? If, we, if we put ourselves in her shoes for just a minute. What an incredible moment in history and what an incredible response to, to what she just heard. So I think there's just a couple of things quickly we can take away from, from her, from her response, from her life. And, and I would say that dev- she has devotion, and that devotion is about obedience. Devotion is about obedience. Mary was devoted to God. We know that. Luke describes her as that. The Gospels all describe her that way. But an error that we make sometimes is, is to think that devotion is, is how we feel about God in our, in our hearts and minds. It says in our passage that Mary was troubled in, in, in talking with Gabriel, yet she made a decision. She, 
She went beyond the emotions of kind of fear and shock, I'm sure, and she decided to obey. She decided to let God work in her life in any way that he saw fit. That's amazing. The second thing I would say is that obedience oftentimes requires sacrifice. Following God, being obedient to him, this is not an easy thing. A a few years ago, a, a popular, wealthy pastor from Houston made a famous statement on Twitter, and, and he said, God will not give you more than you can handle. God will not give you more than you can handle. I like the idea, <laughs> but can we just stop for a second and, 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 and talk about the error of that statement? I wonder what Mary would have tweeted back to this guy. Uh, I don't know about that. I'm not so sure. God will not give you more than you can handle. Let's recap what God just gave Mary. A 13-year-old girl in a town of two to 400. Hey, you're going to be pregnant before you're married. I know you're engaged and all, but you're gonna, it's not going to be his. You're going to be pregnant. The social stigma of that, again, imagine that town, the social stigma of, in Nazareth does not and will not go away. We, we know and see passages like John 8 that Jesus is considered to be a, a child of immorality. He was born in immorality, right? So that's the stigma that, that Mary will carry her whole life, right? Because who believes a 13-year-old girl when she says, didn't do it, I don't know, it was God's child, Mm-hmm. Right? Do you understand what he just asked her to do? But then, but then, to be the mother of Jesus. They had to escape Herod. They had to flee to Egypt as, as refugees. And then it appears as though she lost her husband in, in, in this process somewhere along the way. And she would follow Jesus in his ministry. And so she saw the rejection firsthand. She saw the persecution firsthand. She saw his betrayal and his arrest and his torture. And we know that she was at his feet at the crucifixion. God will never give you more than you can handle. That's garbage. God will give us way more than we can handle. I'm I'm encouraged, though, by 2 Corinthians 4, where where Paul says this. He says, we have have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He says, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. He says, we live always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our flesh. Do you you hear what he's saying? They're trying to kill us every day. Everything's going wrong. There, There can't be anything going right in any of this. But guess what? Jesus asked us to carry it. But not in our own power. 
right? And he didn't ask Mary to do that either in her own power. He says the power belongs to God and not to us. God will give you more than you can handle, but we are not crushed because of the power of God in us. God asked Mary and the disciples and the apostles like Paul to sacrifice in ways that we can't imagine, but for a purpose. Because obedience requires sacrifice sometimes. And then this is my last thing, and I'll stop. But faith and obedience in Jesus make the difference. Mary didn't accomplish anything that we would say is miraculous. She didn't, she didn't accomplish, right? That's an interesting word. But, but our, the lesson of her life is it, the thing that was so amazing about her was her availability, her willingness, her faith, her, her willingness to be used by God. That's the incredible thing of her. Her unwavering belief that Jesus was the Son of God. That's what makes her amazing. And that's what he's called us to be willing to do as well. Are you willing to believe? Are you willing to obey? Are you willing to sacrifice in obedience when it's hard, when it's impossibly hard? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let's pray. God, we wish that our lives in you would be easy. Our flesh cries out for comfort and, um, and prosperity and, and everything that would come with it. But we know that that's more often than not what you've asked of us. And it's hard to follow you. It's hard to be, uh, to be in this life. Of, of sin and pain and death and, and so much struggle. But you've, you've called us to it for a purpose. And that is because of a redeemer, because of this, this baby to be born, Jesus, who is our hope. Because we can have faith in him, we can have hope that there is a purpose to all of this, more than we could ever see. God, help us in our unbelief, help us in our doubts. We would respond like Mary. Let it be. Amen.